Hello, everyone. So my name's Steph. Um, I've been a Christian 27 years. Jesus interrupted my ridiculous life when I was 18 years old, and I'm forever grateful. Um, I thought I knew better. From a, my mum is a believer. My dad isn't. My mum is. I was brought up, I guess, to some degree with the gospel. Felt that I understood it. But around the age of 15 or so, I thought it just doesn't work for me. Um, I felt it was true, but it just I couldn't make I couldn't connect it. If you know what I mean, in a meaningful way to my life, I would go to Christian holidays and get really excited, come back with all these kind of good intentions, and it would fall flat. And then I reached the age of about 15, 16, and I made a firm decision that I wouldn't be a Christian. Um, my youth leader brought me home in his car and said, you've been coming to youth for like years now. You're not really following Jesus. Are you going to make that decision? And I made the decision. The decision was no. Now, here I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tells you something about the sovereignty of God. Um, he had other ideas, and I'm so grateful um, that, 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 that he did. Um, and um, still still enjoying the fact that I'm forgiven for my sins, still enjoying the fact that he's had mercy on me and loves me. And um, so it's such a joy to be able to come here and serve you um, preaching tonight. Um, I currently live in North London, London Borough of Camden, live there with Davina, with whom I've been married for 21 years, and our three children, Daisy, who's just doing her A-levels, Levi's doing his GCSEs, and Melody, who's not sure what she's doing. Um, at the moment, educationally. Although, as a result of being inspired by calling the midwife, she now wants to be midwife, so that's very exciting. So, um, what do I do? So, half, half of my time, I'm, I'm released to, to pastor, to be one of the pastors at Revelation Church. And then the, the other half, I work for Relational Mission. Uh, I sort of wear two hats. One of those is training. I look after training and, and helping to develop people. Um, we run a course called Lead. If any of you are interested in, in doing a foundational leadership course, with relational mission, it's a two-year course um, for people who feel called to some kind of leadership in the community, in the workplace, in the church. Please look it up online and, um, and get your applications in. We're taking a new intake, hopefully of 50 people in August. We'd love to have you on that. I'm involved, hands-on, helping to lead that. And there's obviously other training that we do in the family churches. And my other hat is that I, I've been asked to, to try to help stimulate church planting across the UK. And there's all kinds of things bubbling up among our churches in Ken and Norfolk and up in the Scottish borders. But one I particularly want to highlight is an area of the UK where historically we've had nothing going on, but uh, we feel like the Holy Spirit is stirring us, and that's the city of Liverpool. And so if any of you uh, feel any, any kind of stirring when I say that word, Liverpool, uh, please come along to the Liverpool Day on the 11th of May. It's going to be held in London. It might sound a bit odd in London. Why is that? Well, the vast majority of relational mission churches are in, tucked away into the southeast corner of, of the UK at the moment, all, all but one, in fact. And so it's the easiest place for people to get to. So we're going to hold it in London. It's a day we can come and find out more, pray for the city, ask questions. If you're considering uh, a move, you're feeling open to a move, you're looking to be involved in a pioneering church plant, it's a great city. And um, we'll, be there, we'll be there helping you to understand a bit more about that, answer any questions, and pray together. So that's my... That's my little introduction over. Now for the second introduction, introduction to the sermon. We're going to look at the Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, which we're going to read to you. This is from the NASB uh, version of the Bible. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's, that's God. 
the Father. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Wow. What a, what a verse I'm going to preach on today. And um, I want to help you understand it in its context. Um, I think we've got a lot of work to do when it comes to learning how to read the Bible well. I think, um, I think sometimes the way we read the Bible, if we read any other bit of literature like that, we would be horrified at ourselves. Imagine if someone wrote you a letter and you plucked out one sentence, completely out of context, in the middle. Oh, <laughs> oh wow, interesting. It could say anything, couldn't it? Without what comes before and goes after, you, you really don't know. And uh, I think we've got to do a lot of work. If I had it my way, I'd scrap all the little titles. You know those little titles in bold? Get rid of them. They're not scripture. Numbers, boot them out. Get rid of the numbers. Big ones and the small ones. Because it, it ruins the flow. These are letters written. These are letters. These ones, others are so- songs and um, uh, historical accounts. But what is Richard Numbers doing in the way? They affect the way we read it. They affect the, the, the flow. We want to get understand what, what God's word is saying here. So you've got to read. The, and those get the, through the Bible in a year thing. Right, right I'm going to do it. <laughs> through the Bible in a year. I'm just going to rant tonight, okay? I've not done that for about 10 years. Because the last time I did it, I don't know about you, I'm really competitive with myself. Anyone relate to that? Yeah. Okay. So I thought, you know what? I can do it quicker than a year. <laughs> it's a year. And then you sort of get through it. And you go, yes! Yes, I did it. Ten and a half months, whatever. And I can't tell you one thing I read. But I did it. And I, I want, at one point, I was getting a bit behind, and I literally started doing it reading when I was driving. I'm not even joking. I'm not proud of it. I literally, I'm, gonna, I'm getting behind. I thought, I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's going to... And then lately, I went traveling with someone, and they, they're doing it in a year, but it's a, new, it's a new scheme, a new method. I thought, I love, the, I love new. I thought, oh. And uh, I said, send it to me. So I printed it off, and I said to my wife, Davina, this one's great. She looked at it, she's like, I said, yeah, it's great. I took it away with me. And I'm going to start on the 1st of April. We meant to start 1st of January, but I'm going to wait till the next 1st. So 1st of April came. Did it for two days. Wretched thing. <laughs> you had four sections... Right, so you do one section of the Gospels, one section of the Old Testament, one section the rest of the New Testament, one section of the I read it, I just thought, it's, it'd be like having a meal where you had like a boiled egg, some strawberry jelly, some anchovies, and a bit of cabbage. It's just like, what? I don't, what did I just, what was that? What happened? Two days I lasted. I thought, I'm getting rid of it. I've created my own one. <laughs> I thought I'm going to make my own one. So it's a three-year. Keep your eyes out for it, but you'll be able to immerse yourself. Not do that piecemeal reading. Really immerse yourself in the books. Get through the whole Bible in three years. None of this rushing business. Stop rushing. Stop it. Stop it. Slow it down. Read your Bible slowly. It's life. Nourish. What happens if you eat too fast? You get indigestion. Goes down the wrong hole and all of that. Slow it down. Enjoy the food. Let it do you good. Yeah, it's the word of God. So. So all that to say that we're going to look at the context. Where does, where does this fit? Where does it fit? So we're going to start, verse 1 and 2 are, are really just Paul's, Paul's greetings, and then we're going to start from verse 3. We'll read it together. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope 
laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Pause it there. What Paul's saying is, is that we've, we, he's never met, he's never met the, the church in Colossae. Never met them. So most of the churches he writes to, he's met them. He's got a relationship with them. He hasn't met this church. But he's heard about them from one of his co-workers called Epaphras. Now I want you to notice this. He says he's three main things he's heard about. Faith in Christ Jesus. Love for the saints. Hope in heaven. Faith, hope and love. You'll find them as a bit of a trio throughout the New Testament. They're the signs, if you like, of new covenant life. They're the signs you've been born again that you carry within you faith, hope and love. No matter how weak, no matter how weak they're there, that there's faith in Jesus. You trust him. Not always perfectly, long way to go, but you trust Jesus. You trust that, you trust that his, his life, death, resurrection paved the way for you, bought your forgiveness. You trust it. You know because you know faith. And then love, love for God, love for God's people. You, you, you have a love. You want to be around God's people. You want to be around God. You love him and you love what he's doing and you love the brothers and sisters that he's given you. Sometimes it's hard, but it's there. You feel that you're a part of this. You feel an affection for God and his people. Love. And then hope that, 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 that you, there's that future in Christ that you know you have. That you're not just living for this age. But you're willing to pay the price. You're willing to sacrifice because of the hope you've got ahead. You're willing to say no to certain pleasures, certain things in this age because of the eternal hope. Again, sometimes weak, sometimes imperfect. We're all growing, but those three things are there. So he says, we've heard that these things, we've heard you've got the trio. We've heard about your faith, your love, and your hope. It's important that we understand these are New Testament pillars. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Let's read on. The gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, now now notice this prayer, because this prayer is extraordinary. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask, number one, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that, number two, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects Number three, or part of it, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Hold these things in your mind if you can. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's his prayer for them. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now I want to ask you a question. What would make a man? What would make a man be able to pray so confidently those kinds of things we just looked at? What, what is it that would have happened inside Paul for him to be able to look at a church? And before, before you get the wrong idea, the early church were no better than us. 
We have this idealistic thing. Who, who here has either heard or said to yourself, oh, why can't we just get back to the early church? Anyone said that or heard that? Are you sure? Are you really sure you want that? You clearly have not read your Bible if you have said that. The early church was a mess. God was at work in power, but it was a messy, messy business. The church in Corinth, for goodness. I mean, let's just take the Corinthians as an example. They were divided. They were factious. They had different, different Christian heroes that they loved, and they fell out. They fell out about it. They had a man in the congregation who was sleeping with his stepmom. There was sick, sexual immorality going on in the church. Some of them had decided that getting married was wrong. Other, they, were, they were arguing about whether or not you can eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. They were, the rich people, because they worked shorter days, were turning up and eating all the, all the love feast material, all the bread and all the wine, and getting drunk on the communion wine. And then the poor people who worked longer hours would arrive later and couldn't take communion. Their meetings were so full of the spiritual gifts, praise God, but there was no order at all. Someone would be praying in tongues, someone else would start in tongues, no one would interpret it, and then this one would start prophesying, that one would stand out. It was absolute chaos. They, there was no love in the way they did it. It was just, they're all full of spiritual pride. That, oh, I've got the gift of tongues, let me show you. And then some of them have started to say that there had been no resurrection and Jesus Christ hadn't been raised from the dead. So you want to get back to the early church. That's just one church. Now, it is an extreme example. That's just one. They were just like us. But Paul prays this kind of prayer for them. Let me just have a look at some of these things he prays. He prays they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and understanding. Wow. Now let me just explain to you. When he talks about being filled with the knowledge of God's will in the New Testament, it's not talking about, God, where do you want me to do? Do you want me to go to Africa or Asia? You know, it's classic, isn't it? God, let me know your will. That's That's not what the Bible means when it says that. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that we would know what are the things that please God. What things does he love? What are the things that are dear to his heart? What's the will of God? The will of God is faith, hope, and love. The will of God is that we look out for the, for the weak and the lost and the marginalized. The, the will of God is that we carry compassion in our hearts. The, the will of God is that we learn how to pray. That's what he means. And if we was to get caught up in that will of God, then the Africa-Asia question would just get sorted, all right? All these little specifics, they just iron themselves out. God, God, God shows you. But so many Christians get worked up on that, and you think, well, I mean, I heard of a Christian conference where people were arguing and fighting over their seats. You think, oh, goodness me, like, for goodness sake. What are you doing? The will of God is for you to prefer one another. That's the will of God, to give, give, fight over giving each other the best seat. Yeah, that you would be filled with the you would know that you would know what God wants with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That they would be that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all things. What I'm trying to get to you here is to see. I want you to see the extraordinary expectation that the apostle has for this church that they that, that, that they could come into this. You think, wow, he genuinely he's not it's not pipe dreams. It's not just oh, let's pray some. No, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to be praying these things. They're recorded in Scripture. This is what God wants for his church. Let's look at some more. That they would, be, they would bear fruit in every good work. By, we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. You, you, are, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for God, good works, which God has prepared for you in advance. I mean, it's all lined up. It's all waiting for you. God wants you to be fruitful in every good work. It's the will of God. It's what he's praying for them. That they, that they would increase in their knowledge of God. 
Now, knowledge biblically isn't just facts, isn't just, you know, we tend to just think, well, tell, you know, give me the facts. I write them in my, in my Bible journal and then I know more. I know God more. Well, you might know a few more things about him and that's great, but it's got to move from the journal into the heart and the mind. We well, say, I'm knowing it. I'm getting to know him now. You've got to know the facts, but then, but then it's translated into experiential knowledge where you, you know God more and more. You're increasing in the knowledge of God. You're discerning his voice more clearly. You're sensing his presence more, more effectively. You're, you're walking in close fellowship with him more and more peacefully. This is what Paul is saying, that you would increase in the knowledge of God. These are wonderful things that he is praying for them. That they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? It's very interesting. Why? This, this is a really interesting one. Why? That they may be steadfast and patient. I want to just stop on that one. I felt the Holy Spirit highlight that one in a particular way to me. This isn't the kind of things we pray. We say, Lord, we pray you'll be strengthened with all power and his glorious might. So let's see more healings. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Be strengthened with more power and his glorious might, that they would do more miracles. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wonderful. But listen to what Paul's saying. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So you can become steadfast and patient. It takes power from God to be steadfast and patient. It does. And the older you get, the more you realize it. Because you realize why it's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. There's a lot of waiting that goes on in the Christian life. A lot of waiting for God to fulfill his promises. A lot of waiting to see the seeds that you've sown and the seeds that you've watered come to full bloom. A, lot, a heck of a lot of patience is involved. You need power to be patient in God. You need power to be steadfast. To become. I feel like the Lord wants us really to impress upon us by his spirit this evening that to become steadfast is a hugely important spiritual quality. Someone who can be relied upon. Someone who can be lent upon. Someone who can be built upon. Someone who's not always seeming like they're about to swoon and faint and, you know, give up. You need power from God for that, according to his glorious might. That's a big one. For some of us more than others. It's really important. And And that you would be joyously thankful. Wow, he ends with that. It's like, oh, Joyously thankful, yeah, to live gratefully and joyfully. These are high things he's praying, high things. And I'm sure that as I've said some of them, you've gone, oh, I long for that. I long for that. Paul's praying it and Paul's praying it and it's recorded by the Holy Spirit. So that's the will of God for you. That is the will of God for you. Amen? It's what God wants. But here's, 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 here's another bit, you see. The question I asked is, what gives Paul that kind of confidence to pray those kinds of prayers for very normal people is verse 13. It's verse 13. And that's what I'm going to unpack to you. So if you're one of those people who times sermons, some people when they read books, they spend more of their time flicking forward to see when the chapter ends than they do in the book. If you're one of those, if you're someone who did it with a sermon, it's starting now. <laughs> okay, just so you know, everything up till now, this is when the clock starts, okay? I'm joking. <clears throat> but this is, the, this is the verse I want to unpack to you. The Bible is... F- among among the, the, the Bible, you will find statements like this, which I would call mighty truth statements. Which if you grasp it and understand it and believe it, it will revolutionize your life. 
Okay? That's not an empty claim. That's not me exaggerating. That's me just saying what Jesus said. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will. We all know the last bit. We're experts at taking out the bits we like. Truth will set us free. Yay! Hold on. Let's just go back. If you continue in my word, if. It's a promise with a, it's a conditional promise. It's a condi- some promises are unconditional. This one's conditional. There's a condition. You don't do the condition, the next bit doesn't happen. It's not legalism, just the kingdom of God. If you continue in my word, if you dwell deeply in my word, if you live there, if you stay there, you are truly disciples. You're really following me. You're really following. Okay. And then you'll know the truth. And when you know the truth, when you know it, it sets you free. If you, if, if you, only, if you, if you don't know it, you, know, you might be able to quote it, and it might exist in your head somewhere on, in the margins. That's not what he's talking about. It's where it dwells in you, it lives in you. You know it. It shapes everything that you think about everything. Shapes what you think about you, your past, your present, your future. Shapes what you think about those around you. Shapes what you think about the world. It shapes everything. Knowing the truth, it sets you free. It sets you free. You see, this is one of those truth truth statements, which I'm going to unpack for you. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will apply it to your heart so that you will know it more deeply tonight than when you came in. Amen? So that you might experience more genuine Holy Spirit liberty in your soul that will enable and enlarge you to be all that God has called you to be. Okay? This is God, God's grace operates through the, the Holy Spirit bringing to life the truth of Scripture in our hearts. The Holy Spirit does other things as well as that, but it's a big part of what he does. He, he makes truth from Scripture live in our hearts, and it goes to work. It, it's a living thing. It goes to work inside of us. And so it's ever so important that we, that we understand this. It's essentially two halves. The first half is this. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness. This word domain is the Greek word for authority, for the, for, from the authority of darkness. Okay? There's a reality to the kingdom of darkness. Uh, elsewhere, Jesus uses the Greek word for kingdom to describe the authority of Satan. Okay? It's an ordered situation. Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself won't stand. And so Satan's kingdom is not divided against itself, otherwise it would have crumbled. It will crumble one day under the Lordship of Christ, but it doesn't crumble within itself because it's ordered. It's not divided against itself. I'm sure it's ruled by fear. It's definitely not love, it's fear, but there's an order. What you tend to find is this. Where there are strong dictatorships on the earth, those countries are very orderly. They're very orderly. You'll find almost zero crime and other things because there's a rule of fear going on, but it does create order. It's not a good order, it's not life-giving, but it creates order. There's an order in the, in the kingdom of Satan based on fear. Hierarchies of fear. Satan, principalities and powers, and then demons. Okay? It's reality. It operates on certain principles. It operates and is governed by universal spiritual principles. Okay? It's not just some random thing. It's not chaotic. There's a reality to the domain of darkness. We were in it because the, the Bible says that we are born in sin. We are born in the, in the realm of darkness. But that Jesus, God, the Father, through Jesus, has rescued us from that domain. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness. And let's just unpack. What does that mean? What does that look like? Here's, how does it work? 
How it works is a number of ways in which it works. The kingdom of darkness operates in, um, through three primary agents, the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. The world is the environment that we live in that is not neutral. It is under the sway of the evil one. It says in 1 John 5 verse 19, there's a, there's a way that the world works that is set up to draw you in, set up to seduce you, set up to ignite lusts and desires in you that will lead you to destructive places. It's a world system. It's set up to make you feel proud and self-sufficient, okay? The Bible describes it in these terms, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16. So we are in an environment which is not neutral. It's under the sway of the evil one, and it is filled with things to, to try and pull you away. The the domain of darkness. Then there's the flesh, which means that there's a part of us inside of us. It's almost like a lightning conductor. It attracts those things. When it sees those things, there's things in me that goes, oh, oh, I like that. Oh, wow, that was really appealing. That's the flesh. It's that part of me that has no regard for God, no regard for the Lordship of Christ. Okay, it's that part of me that wants to do my own thing and get as much pleasure and satisfaction as I can for myself um, in the short term. It's the flesh. Just doesn't want anything to do with submitting to God. The domain of darkness operates through the world and the flesh. Satan is using those things, making us promises, making us promises. And, 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 and here's, the, here's the huge one. I want to really focus on this tonight. Igniting within us these feelings that feel very powerful and very true and very real. You see, we are, we are meaning makers as human beings. We, we love story and meaning. Every culture around the world is full of story. And meaning. And so what Satan does is that he creates narratives, stories that are very powerful, really, really powerful. And, and what happens is when those stories, they grip our heart and we go, wow, that's, wow, that's inspiring. But it's at complete odds to God's story. And it's utterly deceptive, but it's powerful. And, and the whole idea, particularly in our culture in the West, which is feelings-based, Satan's strategy is to get us to feel certain things. But it's based on a lie. And it could, be, it could be to do with feeling discouragement, oppression. It could be longing for things that are evil and dark. And so we've got to be discerning. We've got to understand this because actually, you know what? You've been rescued from that. This is past tense. You've been rescued from it. You're not in it anymore. This is the wonder of the... If you're a believer, you've been pulled out of the authority of, of darkness and put somewhere else. We'll look at that in a minute. But here's what it means. It means that Satan cannot touch you. He can roar, and if you get scared by that, then his roar has influence in your life, but he can't bite you. He can make you promises that are contrary to God's will, which if you believe, you end up going down his dead ends and the destructive stuff, but he can't make you go down there. Okay. Now, before you knew Jesus Christ, you were a, a, a citizen. You were trapped. You were in that realm. That's who you were. That's where you lived. And so in that sense, you're, you were blind. You couldn't even see it. It made no sense to you about Jesus and stuff. And so you didn't even, so unwittingly, you were a slave to your own desires. You lived by your instincts and all these other things. Okay? But once Jesus comes in and breaks in, you are pulled out of that. You see it for what it is, but you are no longer under the authority of darkness. Which means that when Satan says jump, you don't have to. And sometimes it feels so strong and it feels so real. If you don't know this, and when I say know it, I mean know it. If you don't know it, know it, know it, you'll fall for it. And so many believers do this. They feel trapped in this stuff. But what's happening is they have not, they do not know deep, deeper than any other thing they know that they have been pulled out of that and they no longer have to jump. It's a bit like a great illustration. is someone who joins the army and they're under the authority of the sergeant major. 
shouting and screaming. They've got to do what they're told. They have to. It's part of, they're in that realm. They're in that system. But then one day they say, I've had enough of this. <laughs> I want to leave the army. And they sign the paperwork and it's all officially done. And then they walk out of the building and they're walking across the parade ground towards the gates on their way out. And they hear the sergeant major say, attention! And everything in them goes, Whoa! And then they remember, that voice no longer has any authority over me. And so the habits and the default and the way of thinking are all programmed to make them do that. But then the truth sinks in. I'm no longer under that authority. I won't just keep walking. I'll skip. (laughs) Because I'm no longer under the authority. Something has changed in, in, in that realm. You're, out of, you're no longer in that realm. You're no longer under it, you see? You say, well, how does this work? Because if, you're, if your grasp of the gospel is just, oh, well, God loves me because he sort of loves everyone, and Jesus died for me, so, uh, you know, it's cool. That might be, that's okay for a starter, but you've got to get a firmer grip on it if you're going to actually win through. You've got to know it deeper than that. You've got to know what happened at the cross. Because at the cross, yes, not, yes, yes, Jesus took your sins. Hallelujah. But while he was doing that, the Bible says that he was, something was being nailed to the cross. And what was being nailed to the cross was the whole list of human failure. We say, well, what's so important about that? What, what was the big deal of that? Here's the big deal of that. That was Satan's right, if you like, to have us in his grip. Because we had disobeyed God and gone our own way. And so therefore, really the grip, the claws of Satan in us was that we are disobedient. We've broken God's laws. We've broken his ways. But the Bible says that actually when it wasn't just Jesus that was nailed to the cross. All of the laws, everything written against us, the whole debt of humanity was also being nailed to the cross. Which means in that moment, Satan, the principalities and the powers were disarmed completely. Completely disarmed and exposed and shown for what they are. That all they really had on us was our own failing. But Jesus dealt with it at the cross, which means they no longer have anything on us. You see, you've got to be able to grasp that. Because, you see, when the voice starts and when the messages start coming in, you've got to be able to say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I don't have to live under that. See, you've got to know it. You've got to know it real. You've got to know it enough to fight and enough to stand. The Holy Spirit in his grace will implant it in you. And we'll keep, as you keep listening to God's word and being in his word, he will continually uh, uh, lift, lift the veil off your eyes so you can see and soak in more and more. And then what happens is as you know it more and more, here's what you find. You find that your life becomes more and more steadfast. I was so broken when I came to know Jesus. So badly, bad. I mean, we're all, we're all broken by sin. But um, some of us, through foolish choices and, and horrible experiences, are, are, are in a experientially at least in our own heads are in a worse way than others. And I was in a bad way. And I would say that I, there, were, there, were, there were times where I lived under this, such a heavy cloud in my head, such a, such a horrible, dark cloud of oppression. It seemed too much to bear. And uh, in those moments, what did I do? Well, I was being discipled by this wonderful man and he would just, he would just love me and his, his wife would bake me these Brilliant cinnamon buns, which made it better. And, uh, and he would just take me to scriptures and he would get them to, and I would write them down in my folder and I would meditate on them. And that sounds really fancy, doesn't it? You read them a lot and think about them, pray about them. I just, and I'd go to my folder in those moments and I'd just read these scriptures from Isaiah 43. I've called you by name. My, uh, my, my right hand, my right, just right hand will uphold you. And I would let the truth get into me, you know? 
And, in, and often it didn't feel like amazing, but I, felt, but I got through without crumbling and giving into sin. But then as, as years and years have gone on, I would say I don't even, by God's grace, I don't even experience that anymore. Very, very rarely will I be under a cloud like that. You say, well, what is that? Well, what it is is, is that God in his mercy has just put a foundation of truth in me. And sh- life throws things at us. And there's definitely some days that are harder than others. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But there was a vulnerability that I lived in daily then that he's brought me out of as I've become established in the truth. And I just want to commend to you this mighty truth tonight. You have been rescued from the authority of darkness. Okay? You've been rescued. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the stories. Because you haven't just been rescued into a vacuum. You've been, you've been transferred. Right? You've been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son. You're in a different realm now. There's no grey. It's all black and white in the Bible. It's very little grey. You're either there or you're there. You're pulled out of there. You're pulled out there by God's grace. He qualifies you by the, by, the, by the crucifixion and the resurrection. He qualifies you to be a partaker in this new kingdom. He's done it. Right? Qualified. You're qualified. Okay? Everything in life, we have to qualify ourselves, don't we, pretty much? You've been qualified. It's happened to you. Okay? You're qualified. Yeah? Anyone here done the driving test? Awful. Worst thing in my life. Hated it. Hated it. Just worse than GCSEs. Worse, worse than any other test. I hated it. Attempt three, I qualified. I qualified, then I could actually start driving properly. You know what I mean? There's a certain weird sort of driving you do when you're trying to pass your test, don't you? You, go, oh. you do mirrors and it's weird. Then you can start driving. Which is but I qualified. Okay, I qualified. I got the power. I did it. Okay, listen, you've been qualified. You've been qualified. It's been done. The, it's, not, it's not cheap, right? It was the most costly thing ever, okay, but it was done for you. Okay, so when it's just, oh, God loves us all and he's free and he just forgives us what he does, so someone fine. No! You will have no gratitude in your heart. You will have no reverence in your heart. You'll have no power in your heart. Don't buy into the lie that God just forgives. He doesn't. He doesn't just forgive. Why? Because he's just. Okay, if God just forgives, we're in trouble. He's no longer just. Our sin leads to penalty. Jesus paid it. Through his pain of our penalty, we are brought back in and we are qualified through his righteousness. That's why we go, wow. Wow, because he's, you know, if it's just because, well, God loves me, some breaks away, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just quite okay. I don't know, you know. It's just, what foundation is that? What about when you have a bad day? You'll have a bad, when you have a bad day, you do what a lot of Christians do, and that's stop praying. Because you turn out you weren't as godly as you thought you were. Well, welcome to reality. Okay, you are ridiculous. It's official. Okay? Truth hurts. Seriously. You're not as amazing as you think you are. Okay? There is one who is. He's our foundation. That means I draw near to the Father no matter how ridiculous I've been. It's massively powerful. Because in those moments where you realize you were more of a coward than you thought you were, or you're more tricky than you thought you were, or you're more deceitful than you thought you were, or you name it, you don't then cringe in a corner somewhere, you come for grace. Because you recognize that your qualification into his presence is him. And he is always perfectly righteous, therefore you are allowed in. And it's uncomfortable, and it grates against everything in our self-righteous bones. It's called the gospel. It's the gospel. 
okay? And it will break you down. It will break you down and it will show you for what you really are. And there'll be moments where you hold your head in your hands. And the whole time God is saying, I knew this all along and I loved you and gave my son for you. It's the gospel. It's the love of God. Okay? And it's, we need it. We, you do not need to be told you're amazing again. You do not need to be told you're incredible again. You don't need that. Trust me, you don't need that. You are loved. That's enough. You are loved. You've been made in the image of God. God doesn't make rubbish. There is inherent dignity in you as someone made in the image of God. Absolutely, you've been bought. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been adopted. You are part of the family. You are loved. But we reserve our worship for him, not me. It's ever so important, brothers and sisters, that we understand this. It's a much surer foundation than this kind of self-talk. It's a much, much the true foundation. You've been transferred into a new kingdom. I want to say a few things about this kingdom, then we're done. First, I want to say it's the kingdom of the beloved son. Therefore, it's a kingdom of love. Love is the greatest. Faith's brilliant. Hope's amazing. Love is the greatest. There's nothing great. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love never fails. The greatest is love. You are now dwelling in the realm of love. You are dwelling in the realm of perfect love. You are dwelling in the realm of God's perfect love. You live in the kingdom of love. You live in a kingdom and the king is the beloved son. And you live under his favor and under his glory. There are songs being sung in heaven about the king that you are joined to through the gospel. Okay, you, that's, that's where you live now. And he will implant his love in you. He will drive the fear in your life out to the margins with his perfect love. And he will teach you how to love. And he will make you a lover, a lover of God and a lover of people. That is your destiny. That is your destiny. And you need to be released from kind of weird goals in life where there's this other thing which I just my heart breaks when I see the pressure particularly young people on particularly people younger than you but you may be still living in part of that you know they say that you know, they say young people these days aren't really drinking and having sex as much as they used to what they're doing in, what they're doing now is they're sitting in their bedroom cutting themselves and getting stressed about their exams it's brutal it's absolutely brutal Because the government's under pressure to, to do well, and so they put the schools under pressure, so the schools put the teachers under pressure, so the teachers put the pupils under pressure. And it's good to try your hardest, but what about when your hardest isn't an A star? Then what? Then what? It's, it's a killer. The goal is love. If you can become a man or woman of love, as far as God is concerned, you've done so well. If you can learn to receive his love in your heart, love him, pour that out to love others you've done really really well god's god's kingdom doesn't work like ours does but jesus himself said the things that are esteemed before man are despised before god abominable we create these bizarre pressures then put them on us to live under then wonder why i'm not enjoying being a christian because <laughs> you're trying to be in a christian but under a false idea under a false story can't understand the real story you're in the kingdom of love grow in love grow in his love keep yourself in his love if you've grown in patience this year, hallelujah, you are successful. Better than an A star. Better than a first degree. Better than whatever promotion you're trying to get. Come on. Come on. Wake up. Wake up. Step out of the wrong story. Step into the right story. Get out. Step. Get out. I'm not having it anymore. I want to live in the right story. Second thing, the kingdom of God is not talk but power, the Bible says. 
There is extraordinary power in this kingdom that you are now part of. The word for power means force, the ability to do. There is an ability from God for you in his kingdom which will enable you to do stuff you could never naturally do. You need revelation to understand that. So, so much... So much stuff, even among Christians that goes on, it's kind of trying to work out in my, oh, I don't know, it's the parameters. It's all so possible. <laughs> and yet, kind of, at the same time, I don't know, a bit hard and a bit discouraging. Blah! Kingdom of God is not taught, but power. There is power from God to break us out of unhelpful, ungodly limitations. And thrust us into things we think, I, did, I didn't think I could ever do this. I stood up on a stage age 15 and I had to, I, found, I don't know how I found myself. When I was at Bible week, I found myself on a stage. You'd be, oh no, like, it's not me, I'm not even a Christian. I had to give some report about the youth group at my church, you know. I was the naughtiest one in it, you know. And I was, and, and, but as I spoke, I, I couldn't even get that. You know when you can't breathe? You know when you jump in water that's too cold? You know that? And you go, <laughs> I was, it's all that. And I remember that because it helps me realize when I do stuff like this, this isn't me. God called us to plant a church uh, in 2006. And the, the guy that was kind of looking after us and sending us out, he said, I'll be honest with you, Steph. He said, it's like you've got one big muscle and one small one. Your big muscle's preaching. He said, leadership? Nah, we just don't know. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Vote of confidence, really helpful. Because I'm not, I'm not an alpha male. I'm not, a, I'm not the sort, I don't naturally lead. I'm, I'm happier. If someone's being led well, I'm really happy being led. Don't need to lead at all. Don't, I'm not, don't buy me leadership books, please. I'll use them to prop the door open. I'm just not that guy. Not that guy. I do it out of obedience. God's empowered me and enabled me to do it in whatever realm he wants me to. And I'm, I happily obey and I do it with joy. This is calling. But I couldn't do this naturally. He knows you. He knows you. And he wants to empower you to do things you could never normally do. It's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. It's an exciting thing. You sometimes discover, wow, I didn't know I was this. Just God's power. There's power, friends. There's power. Believe. Know it. Believe it. Believe God for power. Some of you real, you know, some of your home situations, the relationships, the forgiveness that you've got to try and navigate. You think, I can't do this. I know you can't. There's power from God. There's power from God. Some of you think, how am I going to navigate my way out of this? There's consequences from life, things I did before I knew Jesus. Ah, There's power. Wait on him. Look to him. There's power. One of the reasons I didn't become a Christian is because I was trapped in sexual sin, totally trapped in a nasty, dark world of kind of sexual fantasy, completely gripped. So powerful. That's an interesting word. So powerful. And uh, the other thing I didn't, that, 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 that stopped me from becoming a Christian was that I was so afraid of what people thought of me. So gripped by what people thought of me. I thought, ah, what will people say? I was gripped by powerful fears. And then Jesus went and saved me. I was like, oh no, what about these two things? Genuinely, what about these two things? What am I going to do? He delivered me. He delivered me. I was as shocked as anyone. I came home, I said to my friends, I've become a born-again Christian. And they all laughed. I just stood there thinking, I don't care. Why don't I care? Why aren't I crumbling? Why isn't my world falling apart? It's power. 
It's just power. It's power. The sexual stuff, I found that he just, he just gave me power. I was surprised. There was a, there was a journey in it, but it was, a, it was a victorious journey out of really, I mean, I was gripped. Just empowered. empowered. What is that? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of your ring if you're a believer. That's the realm where you dwell if you're a believer. That's available to you. Just believe God. Don't get what's up. Don't start stressing. Oh, no, I'm gonna... It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's not, uh, it's not reward. It's, it's, it's power in the kingdom. Okay? Just trust him. Trust him. Final thing. Then we can have a bit of a response. It says in the Bible that um, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what it means is, the context is, is that there were some Christians getting really worked up about, can I eat meat or not, you know, kosher stuff, and, you know, the whole Jewish-Gentile thing, and getting really worked up, special days, do we observe, what do we do? Paul's like, the kingdom's not about petty stuff. It's not about the crises of conscience over tiny things. I don't know about you, it's some... <laughs> I mean, a really tender conscience. I, have, I've got, I actually have a really tender conscience. Really, the Bible calls it a weak conscience. Strange, huh? In the sense that your conscience doesn't allow you to do stuff that God's saying is okay. And you get really worked up about really little things. I got into this thing once where, you know, I was really reckless while I was a believer. And then I got into this thing where, if I like, pulled something out of my pocket and some litter dropped out, I'd be like, oh, but, you know, I'm a believer now, you know. And, uh, <laughs> don't, want to, don't be reckless anymore. Don't, don't laugh. That's reasonable, right? And, <laughs> Put in a bin, and then I'll be walking off. It was another bit of, lit- bit of litter over there. I almost became like a litter picker <laughs> for a season. I was crazy. I said, oh, oh, you know, conscience, little things. Oh, no, worries, anxieties, this and that. Some of you are laughing, but you're laughing because you're like, that's me. <laughs> Not the litter, but something where you go, oh, no. Paul says that you, your conscience needs to be educated in the gospel where you can grow out of strange little paranoias and little petty, all this, grow out of that. And let God make you big. Well, you guys, it's not about that. And if it's going to help someone, because I love them, sure, well, fine, yeah, no problem. Yeah, you can't eat that at the moment, no problem. We're not going to, I'm not going to stuff my face with stuff you, your conscience won't. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. But actually, the kingdom's, it's not about that. There's a bigness that comes. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And liberty to live for God. And liberty to think beyond ourselves. And liberty to throw our money at pioneer Europe and liberty to, to do crazy sacrificial things and liberty to just say, well, we're, we're part of something bigger now. We've, we've been bought into the true story and it's a bigger story than we could ever imagine. And hallelujah, I'm liberated because I'm, it turns out I'm not the main character. This is so liberating. Wow, I thought it was about me and it was awful and it's not. It's about him, but I've got a part to play. But it doesn't all hang on me. It hangs on him and his mighty glory and victory. And I can get involved in that and play my part, but know that it's all about him. I mean, wow, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of heaven. You see, you've been delivered from the authority of darkness. You're no longer under it. Okay? Don't agree with the lies anymore. Don't agree. You've got authority to not agree. In Christ. So I'm not having it. I'm not having it anymore. I'm just not going to live under that anymore. I'm not going to do it. Okay? You're not under it. So you've just uh, been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a beautiful thing. Live there. God will nurture you in it. 
God's got a plan and a schedule for you in it. God will nourish you in it. Stay in his word. Abide in his word. He'll teach you in it. He'll develop you in it. He'll equip you in it. He'll prepare you for it. He'll open up doors that no one can shut and he'll shut doors that no one can open. And you can live in the peace and the joy and the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God, the unmerited smile of the Father aimed at you in Christ Jesus, where you have become the aroma of Christ, the Bible says, to God. Now, other people smell it, to some it's life, some it's death, but actually the Bible says, to God. You are the aroma of Christ, to God. Through the gospel, you've become the righteousness of God. Because he became sin, you've become the righteousness. That's who you are now. Know it. Believe it. Take your stand on it. It would be good to respond to this message. Good to give you a chance to say no to some stuff and yes to some stuff. Um, Let's just think of a way of doing it. Lord, we just do do want to do want to take some take, take some faith moments. Some of the guys here need to say no to some stuff and yes to some stuff. 